welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. Riverside Church is a community of believers striving side-by-side for the gospel in the greater New Orleans area. For more information about Riverside Church, go to riversidelife.org. The rest of us, let's go ahead and grab our Bibles and turn to Acts um, chapter 27. Aren't you thankful that we've had five and a half years with the Martin family? Yeah? I'm thankful for that, and we'll pray over them at the end, if you weren't here at the beginning, uh, to, to know that. And so as I preach Acts chapter 27 this morning, I'm going to frame it um, as a, a charge uh, to Aaron, uh, as, a, as a charge to as they go out um, from here. And, and look, I'm, I'm excited for them in the days ahead, and look, I'm excited for Riverside in the days ahead, because last time we went through um, a, a staff transition, guess who God brought us? They brought us Aaron. And so I'm pretty confident that God is, uh, is moving among us and will take care of us um, and has great things for us um, in, in the future as we work hard um, towards that end. And so this will be a charge uh, uh, to him, but all of you listen in because this is a charge to, to live sense, to live life on mission. This is a, a charge for all Christians who are seeking to live their lives on mission for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray that's true for Riverside. I pray that's true for every one of us that we are busy taking light into dark places wherever the Lord may lead. What we're considering this morning is Acts chapter 27. We are getting into the final scenes of Acts. Um, we are 35 messages into the book of Acts. And so we're getting into those final scenes, as I read a second ago, uh, where the, where, where the, where Paul is now headed to Rome, just as God had promised. God said, I'm going to get you to Rome. You're going to preach the gospel there. You will be before Caesar. And so God is, is getting him there. It, it isn't important that, uh, God is often busy not only getting us somewhere, but what he does in the journey along the way is just as important of getting us to the destination. And God is doing something in the life of of Paul here and something I believe he wants us to see this morning. So he's finally making his way to Rome. And as you might notice, Luke is with him. Luke writes the book of Acts and and Luke is a very detailed historic. I skipped over some of the verses this morning, um, but Luke is meticulous in the details of where this boat stopped and where it took left port and all the things that were happening on the ship, even the point where they drop anchor, Luke mentions all of those things. And so we know Luke is with Paul at this point. We know that because of the details that that we see coming up as Luke is there. This wonderful historian is with him. But we also know because you see multiple times in this passage where Luke says, we. Remember Luke's writing this, we did this, we did this. So this clues us in that, that Dr. Luke is there with Paul. Among the details that Luke records of this journey are some descriptors. You may have heard them along the way, that the journey is difficult, that they sailed slowly along the way, um, that this journey was uh, dangerous even, and they're, 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 they're fearing that they might lose their very lives for having set sail at this time, having not listened to what Paul had to say. So Luke records that all of these details and these descriptors of how, descriptors of how difficult this journey was. Luke also records how they felt, and Paul seems to be frustrated at this point in verse 21. He says, if you would not, if, man, if you would have listened to me, we would have not been in the mess that we were in. So Luke even records not only what this journey was like, but even how they felt along the way, the frustration that they find themselves in, even to the point where the people on the ship say, all hope was abandoned. So they felt hopeless 
at this point as they're going along this difficult, dangerous, and tumultuous journey making their way to Rome. And so these final chapters, they're not a parable. They're historical. But don't they seem a little parabolic? Of how do we stay anchored? How do we stay focused when God has called us to live life on mission. That's what's happened with the Apostle Paul. God met him on the road to Damascus. He saved him. He transformed his life. And now he's living a life on mission. And when you live life on mission, it doesn't mean it'll be easy. It means there might be challenges along the way. And the challenge that I believe that we see in this passage is the challenge to to don't give up, to keep the course And to all of us, how to remain anchored along the way. A challenge to Aaron and his family. A challenge of how to remain anchored along the way. But notice that this is a challenge to all of us. You remember from Acts chapter 8, the early church begins to spread like wildfire. And how did it spread in Acts chapter 8? The apostles stayed back in Jerusalem when persecution came. But there were some ordinary people under the extraordinary power of the Holy Spirit who were scattered about all of Asia and all of the land proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it should be noted that while God uses uh, elders and, and pastors and overseers to lead his church, oftentimes we see this movement of God spread throughout regions from ordinary people living under the extraordinary power of the Holy Spirit. So this is a challenge to all of us. And so here's the truth that I want you to see this morning. Here's what I want you to think about. When you resolve to live life on mission, when you resolve to live a sent life, We've called this whole series Sent Ones. When you are called to live a sent life, whether vocationally or not, challenges will come, difficulty will come, but it is always worth it. I remember having this revelation most, maybe most clearly than I ever had um, when I was working at a camp in East Texas after my freshman and sophomore year of college. And one of those weekends, I had gone down to the camp to work, an orientation weekend or, or some sort like that. And I remember driving down the piney wood, backwood roads of East Texas along a highway. I was, I was heading back uh, to Mississippi, uh, to Mississippi College. And, and I remember at that time, as God was in the, in the process of, he had called me to ministry and began to sort through that, what that would look like, that I would not, as I thought at one point, perhaps like do PT school or something like that. Um, God was calling me to ministry, and, and I began to realize what that like. So I'm going down the backwoods of Texas, and, and I, I remember this clear as day in my black Ford, 1996 Ford Ranger. As, as I'm going back those, down, those back roads, I see this beautiful house. I, I mean, the trees are, are, are well appointed on the property. It's beautifully taken care of. And this is this large piece of property with this beautiful white fence, probably 40 acres or more of property, a beautiful house on top of this rolling green hill, pine woods all around it. It was beautiful. And I thought for a moment, man, I would like to ride a horse across that property. I would like to have, like, as I did with my grandpa growing up, I'd like to have a bird dog one day, and I could see running a bird dog across that. And I had the realization at that moment, if I go this route, there's a good chance I'll never experience that. And that's okay. Okay. 
And, and that, there, there's a good chance that I would never be able to, this is not poor, but afford something like that or even have the time to do something like that, that God was beginning to change my goals and my aspirations. If I'm called to live a sent life, what will this look like? And so I challenge that to Aaron. I challenge that to all of us. If we're going to live a sent life, then we must have our eyes focused on the Lord, no matter what, if we are to remain focused. And here's some things that, that I want you to know. Five things. And one final conclusion. Number one, know where you're going. I shared this quote several weeks ago that Yogi Berra once said as he was driving around in a car and his friends were wondering, hey, Yogi, where we're going? Aren't we lost? And Yogi Berra said, yes, we are lost, but we're making good time. I think a lot of times we live life like that. We live our life making good time, but going absolutely nowhere. Paul knew where he was going. He knew where he was heading. He was living on mission. God had promised to get him to Rome, so God was going to get him there. So know where you're going. Don't go nowhere. Go somewhere and get to a point in your life where you say, Lord, I will go anywhere. Wherever you lead, I'll go. If you call me to New Johnsonville, Tennessee, if you call me to New Orleans, I'm going to be there because you call me there. One more story about me in college. God did a lot of work in me when I was in college. One more story about that. Uh, several years later, I told you about that first experience. I remember this other experience. Um, I don't know if I was at church or reading my Bible or at some sort of event or whatever, but I remember having this distinct moment. I maybe even called my parents and told them this, that, that I was convinced um, and convicted that I would go anywhere that the Lord would send me. I went on to major in missions at uh, RTS where I went to school. And I remember at that moment thinking that I'd been on some mission trips and was planning on going to some mission trips, that God was going to take me somewhere. And I was saying, Lord, I will go anywhere, kind of uh, anticipating in the back of my mind, that might mean overseas or somewhere, Asia, Africa, wherever you lead, Lord, I will go. I got to that point in my life where I said, Lord, I will go anywhere. I never thought about New Orleans. That was the last thing on my mind. But when God called me back here, sitting in a coffee shop, reading the New York Times and seeing all the devastation after Katrina, when God called me back here, I realized that anywhere meant two blocks down from where I grew up, standing in the pulpit of the church I grew up in. If God said, go there, I'm going there. I'll go anywhere. And he sent me back home. Simplify it like this. I don't know where the Lord is calling you, but I know the Lord has you here. So get to the point in your life. Know where you're going. God, I'll go anywhere. And Lord, you have me here. And where he leads, he will provide. And so don't get greener grass syndrome thinking some of our lay folks here, if I could make it to the North Shore, I wouldn't have to worry about saltwater intrusion. Don't be a quitter and move to the North Shore. The North Shore is for quitters. (laughs) I'm sorry if you're from the North Shore. I'm glad that you drove all the way this morning. (laughs) 
Don't get greener grass syndrome, whether you're a pastor or whether you're a lay person. You know that God has you here for a purpose. So remain anchored in the promise of God that he has you here for something, for a purpose. God will get Paul to Rome, but don't forget that God is just as interested in working in Paul along the way. So number one, know where you're going. And always be willing to go anywhere. And wherever he has you, keep serving with all your heart. The grass is never greener if you're not following where God has you. Know where you're going. Number two, know who is with you. Notice what Paul says here as, as we're going along this journey. He says, take heart, do not be afraid. First, he says, by the way, if you would have listened to me, people never listen to the pastor. They live, listen to the shipmen. They listen to the sailors. But surely this pastor has no idea what he's talking about. If you would just have listened to me, Paul says, we would have been all right. But nevertheless, he says, I still urge you, take heart. Why? Do you notice what he says here? Take heart, do not be afraid, for this very night stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong. When the journey is difficult, when the journey is tumultuous, when you're, you're wondering what God is doing, what is going to calm all of our fears, what is going to bring us peace is the presence of God among us. And that God will show up and God will be with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. What's going to calm all fears? What's going to bring peace and keep you anchored as you go along in this journey is you know who is with you. And not only will his presence bring you peace, his presence will bring you power. This is what the Lord told Joshua as they're going into the promised land. He says this, you know, Moses, the servant, is dead. And here's the promise that God made to Joshua. He didn't say, Joshua, hey, man, you're a wonderful leader. You're a great preacher. You're going to be all right. The people will follow you. Like, like you went to Canaan. You were one of the guys. You will be all right. Here is what the Lord said. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Why? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That's your peace. That's your power. To know where you're going and to know who is going with you. And this is a promise for all the apostles. The Lord said, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and Holy Spirit. For, I, for behold, I am with you even until the end of the age. That's a promise for all believers to be the calming, peaceful presence and the empowering presence that we need. So know where you're going. Know who's going with you. And building on this last point, point number two, point number three is know where you're going, know who goes with you. Point number three that I want to challenge you with this morning is know who you are. Know who you are. Look again in verse 23, Paul calms them, says the present God has shown up. The angel of God has shown up. Do not be afraid. God is with him, us. He is with me. He's going to get me to Rome. Listen to what he says. For this very night, this is verse 23. You might want to underline in your Bible. There stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and worship. That's huge. That is huge huge. This is the God to whom I belong. 
This is the God who loves me, living a sent life. This is the God who loved me, who chose me, the Bible says, before the foundations of the world, who has forgiven me, who has redeemed me, who has adopted me, who, behold, has made me a new creation. This is your identity. A degree is not your identity. The the pastoral ability is not your identity. Those are all wonderful things. But at the end of the day, or maybe for a person, a lay person, maybe you need to think about this, like, I don't know a whole lot about Scripture. I haven't been following the Lord that many years. And so you're like, I know who you are. Know your identity. You are loved, chosen, forgiven, redeemed, adopted. Behold, if anyone is in Christ, you are a new creation. The old has passed, the new has come, and behold, you are an ambassador for Christ that he is making his appeal to a dark and broken world through you. Be reconciled to God. That is your mission, to be an ambassador for Christ. And this is for young people as well as you struggle with your identity. Know that who you are in Christ is everything. Know who you are. Know what your identity is and also know what your life is, what your power is, what your very breath is. Know who you are. The Spirit has regenerated you. He's indwelled you. He's baptized you and he has sealed you. So know who you are, your identity, and know who you are. The Spirit of God dwells in you. This is big for us to know because we see the Spirit of God on the, on the first page of Scripture. Do you remember this? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the deep. And then God began to call all of these things into order. And so on page one of the Scripture, in this uncreated world at this moment, in this chaotic place above that is God's spirit hovering. And the Hebrew word for that means a number of things, but, but it means breath, it means wind, it means, means energy, it means God's personal presence. So just like wind and breath are invisible, God's spirit is invisible, but it's powerful. And it's doing a work of sustaining us. And as we continue through the story of the Bible, we see people empowered by the Spirit for specific tasks. We see Joseph was empowered in order to interpret dreams. We see one man was empowered in order to be an artist, to put things and build things for the tabernacle. And so we see God's Spirit empowering prophets and doing all of these wonderful things. And then Jesus shows up. And at the beginning of his mission, do you remember this? There's this scene where Jesus is being baptized into the water of the Jordan River and the sky opens up and God's spirit comes and rests on him like a dove. And so the Bible is telling us at this moment that this story is saying that God's spirit is empowering Jesus in the sense to begin the new creation. And we see this happen where he heals people, he forgives sin, and he's creating life where there was once death. New creation has started. New creation has come. And God, through the power of his Holy Spirit, looks at his disciples and he says, Receive the Holy Spirit. And if you are in Christ, you have been regenerated and dwelled, baptized and sealed with the Holy Spirit. And now, 
you can be part of bringing the good news of the light of the gospel to dark places. Because the Spirit of God is still working in dark places, is still working in dark hearts, and still empowering us as we are filled with the Spirit as new creations to bring light to dark places. So know who you are. Your identity in Christ. Being filled with the Spirit. I'll go anywhere as long as you go with me because you, I am yours and your life is in me. And as you go, you are empowering me to be used for your glory to bring light into dark places. Brothers and sisters, not only for a pastor, but for all of us, our call is to bring light into dark places through the power of the Spirit who has begun the new creation in us. And we get to tell other people that new creation has been inaugurated and that they can come to Christ. So know where you're going. Know who goes with you. Know who you are. Number four, know what you're doing. Know what you're doing. Empowered by the Spirit, we've already talked about bringing life and light to dark places. But much like how Luke records kind of how this journey felt, that they were frustrated, that they thought everything was lost and whatever else, Paul describes to another young pastor, Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And he tells us what living on life of mission, what it will be like and what you will be doing. He gives us three things. He gives us three things of what life on mission will look like as we go anywhere, as the Lord goes with us, as we know our identity is in Christ. Here's what this will look like. This is particularly written to, this is a pastoral epistle, 2 Timothy chapter 2. It's particularly written to pastors, but I think we can all learn from this. The applications for all of us. He doesn't say, young Timothy, so know what you're doing. You're not a CEO. You're not an influencer. You're not a figurehead. You're not a royal family. And you are not the answer for Trace Creek. I'm not the answer for Riverside. None of us are the answer, the influencer, the figurehead, or the CEO. Paul illustrates what this sent life is like. Three ways he illustrates this to young Timothy. He says, you're a soldier. You're a soldier. When you're living sin under the power of the Holy Spirit, you are a soldier. That you get your assignment from King Jesus. You get your marching orders from King Jesus. You are under his rule, under his leadership. You go where he says to go. You serve where he tells you to serve. And this means there will be battles along the way. And their battles not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces. The enemy will attack. But share in his suffering. As a good soldier, verse 3 of chapter 2 of 2 Timothy, share in the suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. For no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. And as you go through the sufferings, you will be transformed to look more like Christ. So know what you're doing. You're a soldier. And you're an athlete. Athletes must train and remain focused. And everything they do has the race in mind. And and Paul even says here to young Timothy, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. There are no shortcuts to success in ministry. It's remaining faithful to the one who has called you. 
And he even gives what we are to be. If anyone aspires to be the office of overseer, here, here's the rules. Desire, you desire a noble task. Be above reproach. The husband of one my, my wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, for how will he manage the household of God if he can't manage his whole household well? Don't be filled with conceit. Those are the rules of the race. And you're running a race. You're an athlete. You're a baton passer. You are looking to to pass the baton from one generation to the next, as Paul was doing with Timothy. You are an athlete, and an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So know what you're doing. You're not a CEO, influencer, or whatever else. You're a soldier, you're an athlete, and you're a farmer. If you're you're seeking to serve the Lord and live a life on mission, you will realize that it feels a whole lot like farming. Yes, you will get to enjoy fruit of labor. You will see people come to faith in Jesus Christ. You will see marriages restored and people strengthened, and you will see harvest and fruit and all of those wonderful things that we get to see as ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the thing about farming, it's hard work. You don't keep your hands clean. Your hands get calloused. There's no place for laziness in ministry. There's no place for laziness and living life on mission that you have to work and toil and labor. And sometimes not, sometimes drought happens. We know this. We're dealing with a saltwater intrusion right now and crops are dying because drought has come. And sometimes that happens. You toil and labor and you don't see a harvest. Sometimes pestilence comes. Catastrophe has come. Sometimes pandemic comes and things that you've worked hard towards just seem to be pulled right out from under you. You have no control over the harvest, but we continue to throw the seed. We continue to trust God. We continue to labor and water knowing that it's God who gives the growth. So know who you are. Know what you'll be doing. You'll be a soldier. You'll be doing the work of a soldier, the work of an athlete, the work of a farmer. Number five, know your strength. These last two points are much quicker. We'll stay in 2 Timothy chapter 2. So when Paul is telling Timothy this, know your strength. And I'm not talking about your skill set and whatever that might be. That, that's a wonderful thing. God has skilled you in many ways. Know your strength. Chapter 2, verse 1, 2 Timothy. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. His grace is sufficient for you. His grace isn't just forgiveness, though it is that. His grace is power. His grace is sufficient and His power is made perfect in your weakness. Embrace your weakness, Christian. Because in those moments, His power is fully on display. His grace will be sufficient for you. Be strong. Where's your strength coming from? So so know where you're going. Know where 
you were going. Know who you are. Know what you'll be doing. Know what your strength is, that it will be the grace of God from the beginning to the end, and you will be strengthened by his grace. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the longer you go after this, the more you grow spiritually, the more you pastor, the weaker you will realize that you are. And the weaker you realize that you are, the more power you will experience from on high. Know your strength. In conclusion, point number six, or in conclusion, however you want to note it, know that Jesus is big. And that's for all of us. We must know that Jesus is big. And I said a second ago, the more we walk, the older we get, the weaker we realize we are, and the more powerful we know that God is. I'll end with this. I told you several weeks ago that we've been listening to Prince Caspi in one of C.S. Lewis's um, novels in the Chronicles of Narnia. And the, and, and the four kids uh, return to Narnia. And about halfway through that book, uh, young Lucy, if you've read this, you might remember this, encounters Aslan. And, and just as clear as I remembered in that Black Ford Ranger, you know, God showing me these things of, like, if you follow Christ, it might cost you something, but it's worth it. As clear as it was in my dorm room that day, really, like, God, wherever you go, anywhere I will go, I remember driving to school on Jefferson Highway. We were about to make it through the school zone, about to drop my kids off at John Curtis. I remember listening to the narrator read this book as Lucy encounters Aslan. And she says, Aslan, Aslan, Aslan's the, the lion. He, he represents kind of a representative of Christ. Aslan, Aslan, dear Aslan, sobbed Lucy, at last. And the great beast rolled over on his side so that Lucy fell half sitting and Half lying between his front paws, he bent forward and just touched her nose with his tongue. His warm breath came all around her, and she gazed up into the large, wise face of Aslan. Welcome, child, he said. Aslan, said Lucy, you're bigger. They'd been away from Narnia for some 300 years or so, and much time had passed said, Aslan. So Lucy has grown a little bit. Aslan, said Lucy, you're bigger. That is because you're older, little one, answered he. Not because you are, asked Lucy. I am not, said Aslan. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. Every year you go, you will find Christ Bigger and bigger and bigger and more powerful, not because he has changed, because he is unchanging. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That same spirit that filled the early church is still the same spirit that fills us today. But as we live sent, as we say, Lord, I'll go anywhere as long as you go with me. As we say, Lord, I am yours and your life is in me. As we say, Lord, I will work as a soldier, as an athlete, as a farmer, empowered by your grace. And every year that I grow, I know I will find Jesus bigger still. May that be true for all of us. That every year we serve him, every race that we run, Every field that we plow, every field that we seed, 
every battle that we fight as a soldier, every place that we go under the power of the Holy Spirit living as sent, may we walk through each of those places and may we say as Riverside Church, may Trace Creek know and all of us know that every day that we go, we will find Jesus bigger still. Let's pray.